Welcome to Radical Abundance, where we celebrate the life God has given us and His abundance of love, joy, peace, purpose, and so much more. I am your host, Teresa Jansen. We're starting out the show with guests from one of the least developed countries in the world, South Sudan. It may seem strange to begin a show about abundance in the midst of what appears to be a lack of abundance, but let's listen to guests Dan Jansen and Ruth Nyalokai as they share about the richness of God's abundance in South Sudan and the difference our mindset makes in whether or not we can see God's abundance. Welcome to the Radical Abundance Podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Jansen. And today for our very first episode of Radical Abundance, I have two very special guests with me. I have Dan Jansen and Ruth Nyalel with me. And uh, we'll be talking about God's amazing radical abundance of all things, his abundant love, his abundant joy, abundant resources, abundant grace and mercy. But we're going to really kick it off by talking even what, what do we mean by abundance and how does the idea of abundance impact our life? And that's why I have Dan and Ruth with me today. So why don't we start off with each of you introducing yourselves a little bit. Uh, Ruth, welcome to Radical Abundance. Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, thank you so much, uh, Mom Teresa. I'm Ruth Nyale and Jamie Sky. Uh, I'm really honored and I like feel special to be here. Uh, I work for Africa Indigenous Women Empowerment as a co-founder and executive director. Thank you. Thank you, Ruth. Co-founder and executive director of African Women Indigenous Empowerment Organization. That's wonderful. And Dan Jansen, I know you a little bit. This is the very first time I've interviewed my husband, Dan Jansen, on any of the shows that I have hosted. So welcome, Dan. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your um, special area of focus? Sure, thank you. Well, I'm a missionary in South Sudan, and um, we work with an organization called Across um, as our local um, agency. And then we are also missionaries under C10, Commission to Every Nation. That's a sending agency. And I'm technical advisor, food security and livelihood here at Across. And also, I have a very close relationship with transformational leadership, church and community engagement, which is probably where I spend the majority of my time is, is in that area of community transformation and engaging the community and, and engaging the leadership to lead that transformation. Well, you know, one of the things I love about God's radical abundance is it's when we talk about purpose, Jesus gave his own purpose in John 10, 10, when he said, I have come that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. But I often find that people aren't experiencing an abundance in their life, not an, an abundance in, in so many ways. Everyone's looking for something. They're looking for something more. Tell me, Ruth, how do you see that play out in the lives of people, and especially maybe women in South Sudan? 
you know, in South Sudan is one of the blessed country that I can say, because all the resources that every human being could have ever wished to have, God have put them in South Sudan. And uh, to women or to all South Sudanese, uh, it's like they are blind when it's come to what God have really given them. Uh, they are blind and they, they are seeing like there's nothing that's around them. And there's this blessing that God have poured abundantly without even like leaving some other outside. So uh, I'll say, yeah, South Sudanese women have not yet opened their eyes uh, to really, or they are not ready to welcome what God has given them because they are not yet seeing them. So they're still blind when it's come uh, to what God has really uh, blessed them with. What do you think causes that blindness? Why can't people see what's right in front of them? Uh, before uh, the war, South Sudan was a very beautiful country whereby everybody was just cultivating, appreciating uh, the land that God has given them. But with the coming of the war, uh, so many people turn from hardworking to become, in de to become depending on other people. So this is what really uh, is the big problem that started uh, to remove people's mind from the life of appreciating things that God has given them to the life of want only to be given by other people. They don't want to work by themselves. And I remember uh, when Adam and Eve, they, they seemed, they were like, God said, you now have to sweat for you to be able to eat. So South Sudanese, uh, it's like they are not yet out to be able to enjoy, to work and remove the sweat for them to be able to enjoy uh, the resources that God has given them. And it's high time that they should also have to understand whoever is giving them is sweating and removing their sweat for them to be able to enjoy all the resources that people are sending, uh, all the help that people are giving them. So Dan, tell me um, how you see this idea that, you know, of people giving something to someone, how do you see that impact another person's desire to work and to sweat? As Ruth has said, someone has to sweat for the resources. Someone somewhere had to sweat to get these resources. And so um, how do you see that distribution of resources impacting people's willingness to work? Well, I like to, to refer to, the, to the, a book um, called Tragedy of American Compassion by Marvin Alasky because he's really the expert on this. He's looked at what we did in the 1800s, particularly during the time of the Second Great Awakening. And we universally, among the charities that sprang up, there was a, a dignity that was preserved in, in people because you would need to exchange something in order to get something and that preserved the dignity. There was a rule in the charities that was universally held and they held other charities to that, that there was no help outside the workhouse. So that was the point of highest excellence. And, and as the government has displaced the charity uh, efforts, private charity efforts, it has become more transactional. It's become more disconnected relationally. 
and it is allowing um, things to move in the direction of of almost like a socialist welfare program in, instead of a relational um, program where with compassion we're interacting with people and we're mentoring them and, and apprenticing them and, and helping them out by giving preserving the dignity of exchanges preserves the dignity in their life we, we've moved away from that and and we're seeing the the results of that kind of um, exit from from the excellence of how we used to do it um, through excellence in Christian um, systematic uh, approaches where where whole cities were divided up between different charities and you couldn't get help without without um, connecting to the local charity and then that charity would do home visits they would they would they would try to turn out a huge number of volunteers so there was a anywhere from three to four um, volunteer, three to four families would, um, for one volunteer was the, was the ratio that they felt was, was adequate in that situation. Now we have um, people trying to help thousands of, 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 um, of, they're in situations where it's one to 1,000 or one to 500 or something like that. There's no way you can build into someone's life the, necessary uh, interaction and relational dynamics that need to happen to, to give people hope of exiting their situation and transforming their lives. Okay, so if I'm following what you're both saying, it sounds like when we give people um, some type of a free handout, it removes their desire to work because it removes their dignity and it removes their purpose in life. And so, uh, and then ultimately it results in people not even being able to see the other things that they may have at hand and um, God, the abundance that God has blessed them and their community with. And it makes them so that they're blind and they can't even see that. So the idea between an abundant mindset, being able to see the, rich, the riches that God has given us, whether that's in material resources or whether it's in friends and family and whether it's in the grace that he so freely gives us, um, hope for the future, all of those different things. When someone has that abundance mindset and can see God's abundance, Versus another person maybe who has more of a scarcity or a limited um, mindset where they see that these resources are very limited. Talk about the difference between those two mindsets. An abundance mindset, what does that person experience out of life? And the scarcity mindset, what does that person experience out of life? Or let's let's talk about the scarcity mindset. Now, there's, there's something going on in the Western world and there's something going on in the developing world that's in the background. And let me start with the developing world. Animism is pretty strongly rooted in a lot of the developed world uh, as a background. And animism is comes with it a, a zero sum situation where the spirits were were allocating resources to people and if you 
had more resources than someone else, it could be and most likely was considered to be that that you got resources allocated to you by the spirits or because some favor that you incurred from the spirits and and someone else didn't get because maybe they were cursed or 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 unfavored by the by the spirits. So it was considered unfair if you didn't if you had so many resources because maybe you manipulated the spirits to get them. And so there was this there was this um, idea that that resources were not were limited and instead of developed. Now um, in the West, because of the um, the teachings or the belief systems that, that Thomas Malthus or Malthusianism put into place, we've had, we've had over a, a century of negative effects from, from that. And, and although it sometimes dissipates into the background, it seems to keep reemerging this idea that there's a zero sum of resources and resources are limited. And when we when we're bacteria in a petri dish, and so and so when the resort when the auger solution and the sugars in it are gone, then it's then it's done. And so this kind of mindset, particularly um, in the '70s, with the Club of Rome report saying that we're going to run out of all kind all the resources in the world, we started something called um, sustainable um, emphasis and sustainability became our strongest emphasis, thinking that, that the best we could do is not an upward trajectory of our development, but was what was holding, holding the keel and, 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 and preserving what, we, what limited resources we had. So the, the Western world is increasingly moved toward that, and the developing world is trying to uh, emerge and, and come of itself away from that kind of kind of background. And so what really what really is happening here is the developing world has this residual effect from animism and now the western world is pushing that those these these new malthusian ideas in everywhere it goes in the world. So so it's coming it's coming down from that from that concept and it is, and things are, are moving away from the from the abundance and flourishing concept that we find in the in the Bible in Genesis one twenty eight, where we're we're supposed to be bringing forth the excellence of all the products we can we can develop from from the earth the value added opportunities we're supposed to manage and we're supposed to steward and we find that in Genesis um, one twenty eight and two fifteen this stewardship concept and management concept. The Western world is moving away from that, and it's a tr- it's a tragedy. It's this, there's a sadness, and we're moving toward moving toward a a scarcity mindset, away from abundance mindset. That 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 the reformers and the first and second great awakening revivalists were very strong into an abundance mindset, and they set the trajectory of the development of the world rapidly forward. During, during those time periods, but we have some residual effect and we're basking in that, in that uh, residual effect of what the, what, what the people that came before us. And, and it's, it's a diminishing curve when you get to the point where so many, so many people are moving to a scarcity mindset uh, around the world that, that the effect of moving prog- progress and moving forward will diminish. So one of the concerns I have is that when people 
experience a, a scarcity mindset of resources like food and water and um, resources like that, uh, that they could also see a scarcity of, of God's other resources like love and grace and hope. And I don't know that there's a direct connection between that, but do either of you have an opinion about that? Do people see a, a scarcity of resources also equal a scarcity of things like love and grace and hope? Once there's love, right? And there's resources, right? Together with love, you will appreciate or you will work together and share the resources. There's, but when there's no love or there's no hope, if there's no hope, because these resources that are here need hard work. And that hard work need determination, need hope that, yeah, someday I could be able to do this. So all this together, I believe they work together because the love of God, the, the, much he let, the, the too much love that he had for us, right? Because of love that he had for us, he sent his only son to us. That was love, right? to turn us back again to him. And when Jesus came, there were so many things. As he was teaching, he was not like picking people that were doing nothing. He was picking busy people. We know the three disciples, the James, John, and they were busy fishing in the river. He picked them. He told them, this work that you are doing, right? You, you are fishing fish, but from today you will be the fishers of men. So again, he picked his disciples or people that he doesn't pick anybody that was not busy. That's alone show us here, love, work goes together. Mm. I like that. I like the picture. Thank you. And he doesn't want uh, individual people. Jesus was encouraging teamwork. He was like showing us, you alone, you cannot be able to do anything. But once you come together, you will be able to do something. So to me, I'll say yes, all these things work together. If in a family you are you are rich, you have a lot of everything that if you have all the resources but there's no love, that will never be a home. Sometimes if we move around, the peaceful homes that are having love, they are the homes that the resources are scarce, they are not too much. So with resources like in a country like South Sudan, they are given a lot of resources. But because there's no love among the people, they can never like realize the things that they have, the blessing that God gave them. So love is the greatest commandment. And in everything that we do, we have to practice love if we want to move forward. Thank you. So Ruth, the purpose of your organization, African Indigenous Women Empowerment Organization, is to empower women 
And so at what point in time or what is it that you have seen works? What tools or what um, tactics that you have used in your organization, what works to help open people's eyes to let them see that they do have resources that are available to them and that they can then bring their own effort to those resources and do something more? What have you found to be impactful in people's lives? Uh, you know, as Ruth, I started uh, working or enjoying my own money when I was seven years old. And uh, that thing alone, I was raised up as a refugee and uh, that exposed me to so many environments that were not good. There were a lot of things that I needed that I could not get. And that gave me a mind. I told myself, yeah, whatever I want to do, if I want to make myself happy, I have to do it. Nobody else will come and make me happy. And it started from there. When I came to South Sudan, uh, I started working with NILO. NILO is a national NGO. And I was sent to learn. And I was, I, I was like a supervisor for all the things that were happening. And uh, I'll see people distributing uh, uh, non-food items. I'll see people coming and doing awareness raising, but there was nothing that was impacting. If you like try to, to see the impact, there was no impact. After one month, after three months, the same problems that were there were still there. And then I told myself, yeah, the only thing that these people need is to be empowered. They only need skills for them to be able to do things on their own because until when that we will be giving them the fish or we'll be giving them those items, they have to get them for themselves. And from then I resigned and I started African Indigenous Women Empowerment. I did not start this organization in Juba. It's, I start operating from Nairobi, whereby now I have 150 women that were trained on tailoring, they were trained on how to do small, small micro businesses. And now as we speak, these 150 women send their items to US, Canada, UK every time. And if I call them, they're even busier than I am. And this is something that people, whatever you make, even if it's one pound or one dollar, but it's your own sweat, it's more sweeter when you're using it than the millions that other people give you. And in here in South Sudan, I'm working with the widows in the village. And uh, you know, in South Sudan, there's this life of uh, once your husband died, you'll be inherited. This is the only inheritance that South Sudanese know. And if my husband died, yes, one of my husband relatives will be able to inherit it. And they don't support. They will come add more children and there's no more support that goes to the family of the widow. So I went, I talked to these women and see if there's a way we can help them. I don't come and tell them we'll do training on this. No, I ask them how, in case they want to be helped, what kind of help would they need? And after the assessments, some will come up because in South Sudan, different states have different resources or different markets or different, people have different type of food that they can eat. But there's one thing that I crossed, which is the bread. Some Sudanese 
whether which states they all love bread. And that is part of our. So uh, after asking them, because it's not me, it's them. After I ask them, they'll be able to identify the specific skills that you like to be trained on. And all of us, the bread have never stopped. The bakery part of it is always out because this is a ready food that once you finish making it, you take to the market, you come back with money. So the best way that uh, we do it is we don't expose things that they cannot do. I cannot come with things that have been happening in Kenya and they have never had. Teaching them will take time, but the things that they think they can do are the things that we train them on. And so far, yeah, when we were starting, it was like, we're like pulling ropes, but now we have women that have taken their children to Uganda to study, to Kakuma, some have brought them to Juba, some are even like building their own local houses and there's that freedom that freedom that the independence, if you are independent, then you will be able to even people respect around you. So there was no respect that people were giving that now they are being given. They are being even consulted when something's or there's something that is almost happening or if, if the community are planning, the women now slowly because they are part of uh, providing for the family. So they're also being added and slowly by slowly, there's change whereby young women in the villages are being called. I remember when I went to the village, people don't take with, sit with men in the tea places and take tea. I think I was the first person that went and sit there and was taking tea and chatting with men and people are really surprised. Who is that? Where is... So there's a lot of mindsets that really need to be changed. And the only best way to change them is to empower them. And this is, it's giving me joy because all of us, everybody needs to be empowered. Ruth, what I really liked about what you said is that you looked at, at the specific situation for whichever environment the people are in. And then you didn't bring something that was so far beyond what they could do, just something that they only needed a little bit of encouragement. And they, they themselves, they said, yes, we can do this. And then you empowered them to go to the next level and do it. It reminds me a little bit of what Dan had said earlier when he talked about how when it's one person and to 1,000 people, you can't know the needs of 1,000 people very easily. But if it's one person sitting with three or four women, you know, you can learn the needs, the hopes, the dreams, the problems, the burdens of those three or four women, and you can learn them well, and you can really care about them, and you can, you can really speak into the lives of that small group of people. But it's, when it's one person to 1,000 people, all you can do is hand them something and walk away. And you have not done anything that has transformed their lives. I really like um, the things that Ruth is saying, particularly about the motivation um, that needs to be there. The spiritual resources that we have produce the motivational factors. Loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself uh, is the basis of all of the 
of the spiritual resources summed up. It's the, it's the sweet spot for the Great Commission. And John Piper says, produce an abundance. I'm kind of paraphrasing him a little bit, but produce abundance. And out of that abundance, maximally bless other, other people from that abundance. And that's what we're really pushing for is missionaries and as people that are transformative is to maximize our blessing to other people. And that comes from the motivation of love. If that's not in place, then what people will do is with their extra income or resources that we you invest in someone's life and you just invest in helping them have a higher income, you know, it's possible that someone, a man may go and, and drink with his buddies more nights a week because he has more income and then come home and beat his wife um, several more nights a week than he could do before. And so this transformative thing of relationship and mentoring and discipleship and speaking into people's lives, the truths that God put in place, which is what we're supposed to be doing in the Great Commission. It's not about evangelism, it's about discipleship. This comes from the love basis and the motivation. That's why we do what we do. That's amazing. And that goes back to, to what Ruth was talking about is if you have the resources without the love, you don't have the happy home. Yeah, I wanted to add one thing that we usually do. You know, South Sudanese uh, or almost everybody wants, uh, we usually also a specific environment or specific area have their own specific people that have become successful. So we usually use the specific people from such, uh, like if we go to Lair, I myself, if I go to Lair and talk to them, you see the young girls, you see young women, everybody was like, I want to be like Ruth, you see? So we pick such people and we use them in specific areas. Like now we're implementing a small project in the POs, in the IPP camp, and we're using a local lady that struggled and managed to reach to another level. And everybody, when she share our story, everybody was like, oh, you see that that's pity. And later on, she made it and everybody was like, oh, even me, I was like this, even me, I'm like this, even me, I faced this. And that thing gave them hope that one day I can also be like so and so if I put a little bit of seriousness. So we're also using local South Sudanese from specific tribes to be able to change their own people. People that they can relate to themselves. They can see someone that, that I can say, if she can do it, I can do it because she's like me. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I think that's the power of sharing our story. And so that when you do become a successful person, don't forget where you came from, right? You know, and yeah. go back and share your story and inspire the next person. Well, Dan and Ruth, thank you so much for spending your time with me today and the Radical Abundance podcast, the Radical Abundance audience. We really appreciate hearing your experiences in South Sudan and, and empowering people to experience the radical abundance of God's love, his, the abundance of this world and um, the abundant purpose that we all have to step forward and, and make a difference in transforming each other's lives and really impacting each other's lives for the glory of God. So thank you both for being on the show today. 